come on, come on. Uh, my name is JP, Jonathan Bacluda. I am the Dallas, uh, the campus of the Dallas uh, campus, the pastor, sorry, okay? Uh, I'm the pastor of the Dallas campus here. And uh, if you're frustrated that uh, Todd's not teaching today, uh, that makes two of us, I am as well. So uh, continuing this series, Can You Relate? And uh, I, we've had two amazing messages the past two weeks. And so I just wanna start today by asking you a question. Uh, here's the question. Have you ever received a gift that you didn't want? Okay, now be careful, okay? The giver might be right, right beside you, you know? Just, just, it's okay to internalize that a little bit. But have you ever received a gift that you didn't want? I love gifts. I love to receive them. I love to give them. In fact, my wife, Monica, and I, we host this gift exchange every year at Christmas. And uh, we bring about a dozen pastors into our living room and we play that game where it's like um, you, you put a number for everybody in a bowl and you draw the number and you can take the gift in the middle or you can steal one that's already been opened. Have you ever played this game? What's that game called? White Elephant, Dirty Santa, I don't know, whatever you call it. Uh, we play that game and I actually provide the gifts. Throughout the year, I'll buy different gifts when I see things on sale and whatnot and, and get them. And so uh, they come in and then we do this gift exchange. Uh, but there's, it's, it's funny because you have to really outline the rules for these pastors, okay? Because they get a little crazy. Uh, they're like, well, is it stolen? Is it not? How many times? How many hands? Hold on. One, two, three. And you know, what's, what are the rules? And let's establish them up front. Does one get to go again at the end? And when they don't want a gift, like if they get something they won't use, they just want to lose it. So they're sitting there trying to pawn it off. Like it's the next person like, Hey, did you see this? No, look, hey, this would look good in your house, you know? And so we're playing this game, but we play with a catch. There's a gift that nobody wants because it comes with a consequence. And if you open that gift, it can't be stolen. You're stuck with it. And so this particular year, that gift was a giant inflatable nutcracker. You've seen these big inflatables, right? This was a big inflatable nutcracker but if you got the nutcracker, you had to keep it in your front yard until March. <laughs> and so it's not just any nutcracker though, okay? It's a redneck nutcracker, all right? Here's what that means. It's got this half shirt and this giant beer belly, blue jean shorts, snowflake tattoo, handlebar mustache, right? Right now, Fort Worth is saying, where did you get it? Where do we get one? <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just playing, Fort Worth. I'm just playing. I'm just kidding, man. I'm just jealous. And my favorite part, my favorite part, it's holding a beer, okay? Because nothing says the birth of our Savior like a cold one. And uh, I love God's sense of humor because my friend John Elmore got the redneck nutcracker. He, he leads our recovery ministry here, okay? So... Uh, he got it, he got it. And so he came in thinking he was gonna leave with something and instead he got something that he had to use. Something he just wanted to lose. And I, I start there is because sometimes life gives you gifts that you just want to lose, but you actually have to use. And, and here in this body, I've actually spent the last decade of my life meeting with people who have an amazing gift and some of them take it for granted. They just want to lose the gift. They don't know how to use the gift. In fact, 36% of our body have this incredible gift that God has called them to use. And it's the gift of singleness. It's the gift of singleness. So we're moving through a series called Can You Relate? And two weeks ago, 
we, we talk, we're talking about these relationships that God has for us in his word and how we relate to them. Two weeks ago, we talked about how we relate to God. And there was a word that goes with it. Todd taught the message that the word is the father. We relate to God like a good father. And then last week, we talked about relating to his word, which is living and active. And the word was like it's a treasure. We relate to God's word like it's a treasure. This week, it's singleness. How do we relate to singleness? And the word is gift. Now, if you're married right now, you're thinking, why did I fight the parking lot traffic to come to church today? And if we're talking about singleness, here's the deal. For you, I want you to hear, hey, married friends, you relate to single people like they're a gift to the church. And if you're here and you're single, I want you to hear that you relate to your singleness like it's a gift from God. What does it mean that it's a gift from God? And so I don't know if you're, if you're single, whether you've never married or you're divorced or you're widowed, whether the world would tell you you're single for a season or single for a reason. I believe that God has a message for you today. And singleness is a gift that we've all had at some point. Everyone has it at some point in their life, but not everyone uses it. And as you think about how the gospel has moved through the church over the centuries, covering the world in the name of Jesus Christ, building the kingdom, as you think about that here happening at this church, I want you to know there's a health engine here at Watermark made up of single people who are using their gift. And so I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you want to turn there in the scripture. And uh, as you do, I just want to give you a few disclaimers. One, it's a, it can be a little unnerving to follow two great messages in this series and then just address a portion, 36% of our crowd. And so I'm not going to. I'm going to teach the Bible, and I believe God's Holy Spirit has something for everyone here today. Um, and if you're here and you're married, I want you to know that, that there's, there's a problem in the church, and I think we're not only a part of the problem, we're actually a part of the solution. Let me explain, you may pray over your children. Maybe you've always prayed over your children. And maybe you prayed for their spouse. God, I pray for whoever they'd marry, they would love you, know you, they'd fear you and walk with you. But what happens when that 23-year-old comes home from college and there's no one to marry, there's not even a prospect. And that 23-year-old becomes 33 years old or, or 44 years old and, and they're looking back on those prayers that you prayed since they were this big. And what verses are you going to go to, Dad? How are you gonna encourage them? And in those moments, you, you didn't even realize that you were projecting something on their life that maybe the Lord didn't have for them. Anybody praying for their kids? And Lord, I pray that you'd keep them single and send them overseas for missions that I'd never have grandchildren. Any, anybody praying that? But the scripture addresses this in ways I think we need to open our eyes to. See, the church has elevated marriage. It's a good thing, it is a good thing. But I think we've inadvertently or in, unintentionally devalued the season of singleness. And if you feel that way, I, I, I wanna start with these two words, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you need to know that you attend a church that loves single people. In fact, the leadership here, as they were outlining this series, said, hey, you gotta teach that message. We want our single friends to hear this, that they're a gift to the body. And then last disclaimer is, I'm married. I've been married for 13 years, amazing wife, Monica. We have three kids. 
And if you're single, you might be like, oh man, great, here we go. Another married guy telling me how awesome the gift is, you know, that he got rid of. And, um, <laughs> and I want you to know, I spent the last decade of my life meeting with tens of thousands of single people. And I've seen them using the gift that God has given them in incredible ways. And I've also seen many, many, many of them not. And it's a huge difference in the church. Some of them find their purpose, and some of them don't. And so I hope that you would be a part of the group that has found their purpose. As we move through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to talk about how we can relate to the gift of singleness by trusting the giver, two, living for another world, and three, understanding that people are single for a reason and what that reason is. And so to set this up, Paul wrote this letter, the Apostle Paul, who was single. He's in Ephesus. It's 55 AD, roughly. Uh, here's what's going on in the culture at this time. Nero is the emperor. Nero is heating up Christ, uh, persecution of Christians. He's about to make it a sport to persecute Christians. All right. And so in Corinth, uh, in Corinth, where Paul wrote this letter, there's a temple, the temple to Aphrodite. And in that temple, to go and worship there, there are hundreds or thousands of of prostitutes. You would go to church and sleep with prostitutes. So there's all kinds of sexual debauchery happening in Corinth when Paul writes this letter and Christians are overcorrecting. They're saying, man, sex must be bad. And so because sex is bad, when we become Christians, we shouldn't have it. And Paul writes to respond to this. He says, essentially, you, you should experience sexual intimacy, but only with your own spouse, according to God's design. And then he writes in verse seven, I wish that all of you were as I am. What does he mean? Paul's Facebook status was single. So he's saying, hey, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. He says, hey, those of you who are unmarried, it's good. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And so my first point this morning, today, is that we want to relate to this gift by trusting the giver. We are to relate to this gift by trusting the giver. Paul says that singleness is a gift. And so some of you single friends are here like, it's a gift, huh? Does it come with a receipt? Is it a gift that I can exchange? Can I take this gift back? And that's not seeing it as a gift. That's seeing it as a curse. Right? If you get frustrated when you receive wedding invitations and stirs anger in your heart towards God, you might have a perspective problem. You get in a baby announcement and it just stirs in you anger. If you take invitations with a plus one and you set them on fire, you might have a perspective problem, okay? <laughs> God is saying that it's a gift. The, the Greek word is charisma. It translates literally gift given according to God's grace. And so the essence of seeing something as a God-given gift is to realize the need to use that gift as it was intended to be used. And so you're here and you say, man, but how do I know if I have the gift of singleness? How do I know if this calling is on my life? I have developed over the past 10 years the incredible ability 
to tell someone if they have the gift of singleness or not. With 100% accuracy, I've never once been wrong. Not one time. And so I'm about to tell you, you are about to know, I can ask one question. And depending on how you answer this question, I can identify if you have the gift of singleness or not. And so here's the question, you ready? Did you wake up this morning single? Because if you did, you have the gift of singleness. Today. And you think, well, wait, wait, hold on. Is it forever? I don't know. I don't know if it's forever. The scripture doesn't speak about it that way. It's today. I don't know if it's temporary or permanent. Listen, God, you know, since I've been a Christian, I've learned that God very rarely reveals his five-year plan for my life, okay? Usually it's, I'm gonna give you today your daily bread, and today I want you to walk in faithfulness one foot in front of the other today that you you would focus on how to be faithful today, how to use that gift today. If you woke up single today, then you have that gift today. If you woke up married today, then steward that gift well also. But what is the gift that you have today? Not seeking just to lose the gift, but use the gift. See, we live in a time where married people are seeking to be single. Single people are seeking to be married. Everyone's discontent with the season of life that God has them in. And instead of using the gift, they they just want to lose the gift. And so Paul, here he makes it clear that he sees singleness as a gift, even though it means celibacy. In verse 9, he says, if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, saying, hey, that, that sexual intimacy is available exclusively in marriage and not outside of marriage. And that, that can, if you're single, it can make you feel like God is holding something good back from you. He's not. He has another good for you that you need to see. And so how, how, how does Paul... How does Paul see his singleness as a gift? Because he trusts the giver. He he knows that God gives good gifts. I was at another gift exchange uh, where we did the same thing, the the white elephant deal. And um, it's my wife's family's gift exchange. So it's always at her aunts and uncles and her cousins are there and whatnot. It gets a little unruly too. I don't know what it is about this, but it's always like, Hey, I thought it was supposed to be a $15 gift, you know, and that's too much. and That's too little. And what is this? This looks homemade. Where'd you get this? And so it's always, there's always some argument that ensues. But uh, as we're doing this gift exchange, my brother-in-law gets this old box and he opens it up and it's a plastic stopwatch and it doesn't work. And so he's sitting there, you know, he's trying to get rid of it. Like, hey, did you see my stopwatch? It doesn't work, you know. And, uh, and he gets stuck with it, game over. Nobody stole his watch. He, he gets stuck with it. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, can I see that? And he's like, what, this? I'm like, yeah. He's like, dude, you can have it. And he throws it across the room at me. And I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. And so I look up the model numbers. I'm sitting there at the Christmas party. I just search it on my phone. And I see that it's, I realize it's a tag cure stopwatch that was used to keep time in the Olympics. And, uh, and so I sold it on eBay for $150 before I left. And um, I, I brought a $15 gift. That's a thousand percent return. And so I did pretty well. And here's why though, because I know his uncle's a good guy. And I, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to make sense at the surface that, that why he would put a broken stopwatch, but I know he's a good guy. And so he, he clearly knew there was value there. I think you can trust the giver. And so if what you have, it doesn't look good, God's not done. Or your perspective is off. 
If you can't see good in what you have, God is not done. Or your perspective is off because uh, Luke 11 and Matthew 7 says that he's a good father. We learned that two weeks ago. And that good father gives good gifts to his children. And James 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. And so as Paul has learned to trust the giver, he's able to use the gift as the giver has intended. He's able to use it for ministry, to build the kingdom, and to advance the gospel. I was, I was raised in a Christian home. I went to church twice a week growing up. I was involved in small groups and, and youth groups. I went to a church school for nine years. Went through True Love Waits. And when I went to college, I can remember my parents pulled up to my on-campus apartment and they unloaded all my stuff and they, we brought it inside and the door shut and they drove off the parking lot and they left me there with all the freedom in the world, but I lacked the maturity. And what I brought into my life in the following months is I began to pursue sexual relationships with women. I began to consume a lot of alcohol, and party, and experiment with drugs, and feed an addiction to pornography. And I felt guilty. And I was saying my prayers one night in my, in my twin-size bed in my, my on-campus apartment. And I'm saying my prayers, and I just felt like they were bouncing off the ceilings. I began to weep. I began to cry all by myself there, just thinking, nobody's listening to me. God can't hear me. I'm running from him as hard and fast as I can. And so the next day I woke up and I called a friend who I looked up to, they were cool, had a lot going on in their life, and I just confessed all my sins to them. I said, hey, this is what I've done as I've gone to college and I, and I just have, have pursued all of these things. And they said, that's just what you do when you're single. And then you, later on in life you get married and you settle down, but that's just what you do when you're single. See, I don't want you to hear that message. That's really bad advice. That's not using a gift, it's abusing a gift. It's not using a gift, it's wasting a gift. Imagine how the giver must feel if he gives you a gift and you use it for, for evil purposes, feeding your flesh. That's a miss. You're missing out on the season and the attention of the gift that he's entrusted to you. And some of you, you're wasting your gift. It's a huge miss. And for my married friends, listen, I know, you don't have to email me, I know that marriage is a gift. I know it's a good thing. I know that marriage is good. I know that it teaches us about the, uh, how Christ loves the church, Ephesians chapter five. I know it teaches us as a metaphor for God, 1 Peter three. I know that it teaches us in Colossians chapter three. I know these scriptures well, but let me tell you something. Did you know that singleness teaches us? That when you see a brother or sister here faithfully pursuing God and pursuing purity and using their time, their talents, and their treasures to serve God, to be a part of the church, to belong here, it teaches us something. It teaches us about the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. It teaches us about the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It teaches us that we are his and he is enough. that he's enough, and that we can learn that from them. Let's go back into the scripture, back into the text, verse 28. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Oh, that's good news. Uh, all right. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. 
What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. And those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this, you read this and you're just like, what? Like that's one of those things I'm just going to have to get up there and ask Jesus, what does that mean? Because nobody clearly understands down here. That, like the Holy Spirit took his hand off the wheel. Paul started writing some crazy stuff. <laughs> what does that mean? For this world in its present form is passing away. That's really key to understanding this text. Paul is saying, the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying that life is short. Don't get distracted by the things of this world. And so my second point is relate to this gift by living for another world. Right? Our our world has a different perspective of marriage. They say, hey, you jump into marriage, and then when it doesn't make you happy anymore, you jump out of marriage. And while you're single, you sow your wild oats and and really enjoy it. And and you don't, you know, why do you need to get married? And they have all of these different perspectives on marriage. He says, hey, we need to have a biblical perspective on marriage, which includes the context of eternity, that we're going to be with God forever and ever and ever in a different world or a redeemed version of this world. Here's what he's saying. You weren't made for this world. You were made for a perfect world and Christ is going to come back and he's going to set that world here and that's where we're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever. So whatever you do here, make sure you maintain that perspective. Our time on earth as you know it is short. So as you mourn, and it's okay to mourn, it's okay to be sad, but don't mourn like those who don't have hope. Mourn with an understanding of eternity and the goodness of Christ and what's to come. He says, as you're happy, praise God, it's good to be happy. But understand that happiness, it's just a commercial of the eternal joy that is to come. It will not sustain you. There is no sustained happiness here. That when you're happy in front of you, should God give you more days, there's sadness. And so it's okay to be happy, but don't idolize a feeling Know that it's just a commercial. And if you buy things, praise God, it's good to buy things, but hold them like this and share them with others and don't let them grip your heart. Use them as things because rust and moth will destroy those things. They will not be with you in eternity. And so what does he mean when he says, and if you're married, live as though you're not. He's saying something really important. You got to understand. He's saying, hey, there's another family that lasts longer than the family that you understand here on this earth. He's saying you have an eternal family. That's your church family. You need to make sure that you belong to a church and that you're known there and that those people are coming around side, side of you there, that you're in a community there. Because that's your spiritual family. You say, wait, are you sure that's what he means? Don't, don't you remember? Let me say this first. You realize that nobody's married in heaven, right? Nobody's married. In Matthew 22, Jesus says they're not married or given in marriage in heaven. Some of your minds just exploded. I heard it. Uh, nobody's married in heaven. 
Nobody's married in heaven. And, and so remember when they came to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, your, your mother and your brothers are here. And he's like, what, my mother and my brothers? No, 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 my family's right here. He says that in, in Matthew 12. He says, those who do the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So you have a spiritual family. Do you feel that, this, do you feel that today? You have a spiritual family that's really, really important. It's your eternal family. So don't make marriage an idol. Don't make children an idol. Don't make any relationship an idol. The scripture says it's good. I know. Proverbs 18, 22. He who finds a wife finds what is good, receives favor from the Lord. I know. But it doesn't teach that if you're not married, it's bad. In fact, here he clearly says it's good. Marriage is good. Singleness is good. Do we feel that today? That's, that's teaching the fullness of the scripture. And he goes on to say, and with marriage, you will have trouble. That's verse 28. That those who are married experience trouble. Amen? That was a test. Some of you, I heard murmurings. You, that's where you just stay silent. You're like, I don't know. What kind of trouble? I haven't experienced trouble. It's, it's funny. It is funny. So many of my single friends think all their problems would go away if they just got married. Single friends, do you hear the laughter? That, that's people who know better. And they want you to learn that. Like, let me just give you a picture into their day to day. Because I know, because I've lived it, you know. Husband's on the couch this morning, right? Kids are, are walking around with no shoes on. Wife scrambling, trying to get everybody dressed. And he's sitting there, he's like, babe, we're going to be late. You know, church is about to start. And she's like, hey, I, I really appreciate some help. He's like, sure, babe, you got it. Whatever you need, just tell me what, what you need me to do. Uh, what I really need you to do is get off the couch, look and see what needs to be done so that we can go. And he's like, fine, hey, you don't have to snap at me. I was just saying we're going to be late. I know we're going to be late. That's why I need you to help. And, and then the kids, somehow you get them dressed and you get them in the car and then you're driving here and the conversation continues in loving ways. And, and, and then you, you, you get here and there's a long line into the park lot like you're going to Six Flags and you're like man I know it we should have went to the Saturday service and why didn't you and then and then you pull into the parking lot and you're like do these parking attendants know what what do you want from me oh yellow tag yes I got one just get me into a spot and you get a spot and then it's like you're playing Frogger in the parking lot like no no hold on hold on ready okay go 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 okay stop 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 Big SUV, hold on, go, go, go. And then you get in here somehow, by the grace of God, you make it in this place and, and you, you go to this kiosk, there's another line and you're like, okay, hold on. All right, type in the name, all right, got the, all these tags. Okay, hey, you take this one, you take this. I think you're in that building over there. You're over here, you come with me. All right, Bluetooth, what is Bluetooth? I don't know, just come on, we'll figure it out. And, and, and it's just stressful. Meanwhile, your single friend's walking by with Starbucks and a smile. You guys okay? Y'all look stressed. You should have came on Saturday. Man, marriage looks hard. You feel that? Like imagine with me for a moment. Imagine with me the government of Syria calls Todd and the elders today and they say, hey, we've heard of the renown that is Watermark Community Church 
And we, we have seen the benefits of a Christian nation. And so we want to bring you guys into our country and we want you to share the gospel and we're going to protect you and we're going to provide for you. And, and we would like them to come for 12 months and we're going to send helicopters to Watermark right now. The, the only catch is you have to go right now. You have to get, you have to walk through those doors and get on a helicopter right now. You're going to be there for 12 months. They're going to protect you. They're going to provide for you. They're even going to pay you to go and do this. But you've got to go right now. Who could go? My single friends could go. Like some of you, your heart's like, man, tell me you're serious right now. I'll get out there. Is it out there? What kind of helicopter? Let's go. And my married friends are like, nah, dude, soccer practice, Monday. <laughs> what he's saying when he says that those who are married should live as though they're not, that he's really saying that our single brothers and sisters should set the pace of full devotion around this place. You say, how? Here, here's how. Make sure you're plugged into a small group. You make sure you're a member and under the authority of the elders. You make sure you're serving every single place that you can. You sign up. If you don't know how to do that, you write in the Watermark News, hey, I'm here and, and I want to be known and I want to serve. I'm reporting for duty. Let's go. You mentor kids. You make disciples. You live in full devotion. You share the gospel. I think of so many people. I look out there and see some of your faces and I think about my friend Cheryl. She's in her 40s, never married. Just going for it. Every time I see her going somewhere else, I just, she leaves today for somewhere I can't even remember, some other country to share the gospel. I saw her the other day, I'm like, hey man, how's, how's it going? She, oh man, it's four months, seven different airports. What'd you do? I went here, made disciples, met with these people, went over here, shared the gospel, went here. Man, and you think, well, she's not, she's not being used here. Then, yes, yeah, she she's fully deployed in this body, taught at Recharge last night. Just going, going for it. I think about my friend Mo, in his 40s, never married. When an earthquake hit Haiti in 2010, he grabbed a backpack with a change of clothes and drove to the airport. He said, hey, they need help. I'll go and help. I'll figure it out. He's always going somewhere, finding where there's a need. In fact, I saw him, I was like, hey, I asked him a question recently. He said, hey, where have you been lately? This is what he told me. I wrote it down so I wouldn't mess it up. He said, well, I went to northern Uganda. I was helping to rebuild an economy there with some other single friends. Oh, and then I went to Ethiopia. I was sharing the gospel with some Muslims there. I went to South Sudan. I was helping those impacted by war heal uh, with Christ. Uh, I went to northern Iraq. I was working with Samaritan's Purse. Oh, I went to Jordan, Turkey, and Iran. I was documenting refugee camps, loving, serving, sharing the gospel. I went to the Congo after that. I was helping people recover from war and sharing the gospel. Got back from Uganda yesterday. Some of you married friends are jealous. I mean, I know. It, it's, it's awesome. Like, I look at my own life, and I'm like, man, I remember when I became a Christian, I, I went to Brazil, went down the Amazon uh, River, uh, woke up, you know, in the different villages sharing the gospel. And then I remember going to Africa and meeting with the government and teaching conflict resolution and then going to villages and sharing the gospel. And then we went to Haiti, up in the mountains in Haiti, sharing the gospel, down in the cities in Haiti, sharing the gospel, doing work, painting houses, doing whatever was needed. And then my family began to grow, and I'm like, where have I been? I, I, I went to Haiti, I had to come back early because there was that soccer tournament. Um, ministry just changes. It just, it looks different. 
And you think, well, that, man, that's, that's awesome and all, but I, do I need to go somewhere? Is that really what you're saying? No, it's not about travel. I think about so many faithful single friends here. I think about my friend Lindsay, who just sees, serves in our singles ministry, serves at Gather, pours her life into discipling other women. Everyday faithfulness. I think about so many people that are next door to us right now, pouring into your children, teaching them the Bible. It's not childcare over there. It's not daycare. It's not just, it's children's ministry. They're being poured into. I think about those who use their singleness to visit people in hospitals and nursing homes, who are learning God's word and teaching it to others consistently, who mentor kids like at Vickery, like my friend Charlotte does. I think of everyday faithfulness. These people are my heroes, heroes of mine like Mother Teresa. She, she never married but gave her life to serving lepers in Calcutta. Amy Carmichael, who opened an orphanage and founded a mission in India. Corey Tim Boom, who helped the Jews escape the Holocaust using her gifts. I think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who sought to save the world from Nazi Germany and Hitler's regime and even built an army of people. But you, he had a prerequisite, a credential you had to, to meet. And that was that you were single, unhindered by Marriage. I think of C.S. Lewis for most of his ministry and Eric Little for most of his. So many people. What I'm saying is if you're here and you're single and you're using your gift to advance the gospel, you're pursuing purity and you're satisfied in Jesus Christ, you are my hero. Thank you. Thank you for the ways you give of yourself. And you're not incomplete. You're not incomplete. Hollywood might tell you that. The Bible says otherwise. Colossians 2.10 says, In Christ you have been brought to fullness. In Christ you have been brought to fullness. Something interesting about Christ, by the way, he too was single. The most complete human ever to live. Single, never married. 32. Back to the scripture. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. My third point is you relate to this gift by knowing people are single for a reason. You've heard that said, you know, single for a season or single for a reason. I want you to know if you're here and you're single, you're single for a reason. And it's not that you're too flirty that you have BO or bad breath. It's not that you don't do CrossFit enough or you don't have style. It's so that you would live in undivided devotion to the Lord. That's what Paul's saying here. That you would live in full devotion to the Lord. That God desires to use you in a unique way in this season of your life. And I don't know how long this season is. And you don't need to know. You need to be faithful in it. So I think about my own life when I look back. I mean, Todd, I've been blessed by Todd's teachings for 16, 15 years now. 
And the brother just, when he was single, he soaked up God's word. He, he used that season of his life to know God's word. When he's preaching, you're hearing the overflow of him when he, was, when he was in his 20s. When I was in my 20s, I was drunk. Okay? Now, when I want to teach a, a scripture to you, I've got to go scramble through the commentaries and spend a lot, a lot of time catching up to know it, to pass it on. It's just different. Some say, you know, no regrets, live with any regrets. I have so many regrets, guys. I, I regret not using the gift God had for me. And so if you're here, plug into the church, serve, study, and go. And right about now, you might be thinking, man, isn't there something weird going on in 1 Corinthians 7, though? Like, like what, what is Paul saying? That's just kind of one of those confusing chapters that seems to contradict other scriptures. Now, Paul's just expounding on the words of Jesus. You remember that? This is Jesus' message. Jesus taught this message. You say, well, where did Jesus? Matthew 19, you remember this? Like he's there, he's talking about marriage, he's with his disciples, and he says, hey guys, listen, marriage is permanent. And they're like, what do you mean by permanent? And he's like, I mean permanent. And then they're like, permanent, permanent? And he's like, permanent, permanent, permanent. And they're like, whoa. Who should get married then? If it's, if it's permanent. And he says in Matthew 19, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. What's a eunuch? It's where we get the word unicorn. No, it's not. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's not that. Uh, a eunuch is someone without reproductive organs. Um, so there are eunuchs who were born that way. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. That's the least fortunate group. And... Um, and there are those, now let me get serious because I want you to hear this, okay? And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs, okay? Let me read this again. There are those who choose to live celibate lives for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Who said that? Jesus said that. That's what Jesus said. And so, use your singleness. That's what I'm telling you. My buddy John with that redneck nutcracker, he uh, took it home, was faithful, put it, on his, put it in his front yard. December, fine. January, grace. February, neighbors come knocking, you know. Hey, can we talk about HOAs here? Uh, and he just said, hey, listen, let me tell you about a gift I received. And can I tell you about another gift? Jehovah's Witness came knocking on his door. They're like, dude, what's up with that thing out there? <laughs> and... Uh, and he said, hey, it was, it was a gift. And can I tell you about the faith that I have it says that we receive grace as a gift from God and that we're saved not by our own works, but by that gift. And then a magazine salesman was going door to door in his neighborhood and uh, saw his house and said, this guy must have a sense of humor. And so I'll go in there and knocks on his door. Dude, what's up with the nutcracker in February? And, uh, and he said, hey, it was a gift. Can I, can I share a story with you? He shares his story and tells him about the grace that he's received through Jesus Christ. And the, the brother leaves there considering what it might look like to have a relationship with Jesus. He used his gift. He had more fun with his gift than anybody else who left that party with a gift they wanted because he didn't seek to lose it but to use it. And he used it according to what the giver would have him do. So don't waste a gift by squandering it. 
use the gift. That friend told me, you know, um, you settle down when you're married. And sadly, I took that advice. And I, and I went to the bars and I went to the clubs and I tried to be a millionaire before I was 30 and I poured my life into my work and it was wash, rinse, repeat because sin robs you of creativity. So you just get stuck doing the same things over and over and over looking for life there. And I stumbled into this place. And what happened when I came here is I began to see peers of mine, people my own age and my life stage, people who were single, but they were using it, that gift, that season of life in a very different way. It seemed that they had a very different purpose than I did. And the Lord began to use that to woo me into a relationship with him. And so in summary, relate to this gift by trusting the giver. Relate to this gift by living for another world. And relate to this gift by knowing that people are single for a reason. That is to live in undivided devotion. It's, it's interesting, guys. Paul wrote this text. And we know a lot about Paul. Okay, wrote roughly 60% of the New Testament. Lots of historical writings tell us about the character of Paul. He's, he's well known throughout history. Some scholars believe he was married at some point, but we don't know. How do we not know? We have so much writings about Paul. How do we not know? Because he prioritized another relationship. Because all of his writings were about another relationship. All of his life was pointing to another relationship. And can I explain? My son Weston came home this year from preschool. He's four years old. He says, Daddy, we got to talk. I said, what's up, buddy? He said, no, I need you to sit down. <laughs> okay. He says, Daddy, looks me in the eyes. I'm going to get married. And I say, buddy, you don't need to think about that for another 20 years. Essentially what he's telling me is like, daddy, I found out what relationship really matters. And you might laugh at Weston, but do you remember in the sixth grade, you might have felt the same way, right? Sixth grade comes around and it's like this switch goes off in your life. You start to notice the opposite sex and, and you can't wait to go to that dance. Even though when you get there, girls are on this wall and guys are on this wall just staring at each other. And one lucky man or two lucky men finds himself to a boys to men song standing in the middle dancing like this. And, and he is looking at everybody else saying, hey, I know what relationship matters. And then you go from there to high school. And in high school, you got prom and Sadie Hawkins and you got drama and you see people crying and breaking up long before they should ever be dating, committed to these crazy relationships and, and walking around the hallway saying, man, now I know what relationship really matters. We can think that's silly now, all thinking they were going to marry that person, but then they go to college. And college is sororities and fraternity functions and it's those late night phone conversations you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you. And you're like, now I know what relationship matters. And then you get out of college and you're in the real world and it feels like the stakes just got a whole lot higher because any date you go on, right, could be the one. Any loser you go on a date with could become your forever loser. And so you're thinking, all right, I really need to turn this up. And, and then maybe you get to a place where you're like, now I know what relationship matters. And maybe you find yourself in front of a minister, bridesmaids and groomsmen and your family and friends and making crazy promises to each other. And you're saying, now I know what relationship really matters. And then you have kids and you're like, now I know what relationship matters. And then you have grandkids. 
All the fun of parenting, none of the pain, so I've heard. And you're like, now I know what relationship matters. And I don't know what relationship it is for you, but what I'm telling you today is that one day soon you're gonna die much sooner than you think. And you're gonna be face to face with Jesus. And in that moment, you can be like, now I know what relationship matters. I should have lived every relationship I had in light of this relationship. And let me tell you what's not going to happen in that moment. No one's going to get up there and be like, Jesus, bro, we got to talk. Did you not see that I was single down there? Come on, man. I lived for 33 years and never married. He's just going to say, I can relate, you know. (laughs) It's not going to happen. When did Jesus stop being enough? Why not make Jesus the center of your marriage? Why not make Jesus the center of your singleness? If there's any regret up there, I imagine it would be squandering the gifts we had down here. Let me pray that we wouldn't do that. Lord, help us to live in light of that relationship that you sent your only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, that you paid for our sins so that we don't have to pay for them, and that you've invited us into eternal life with you so that every interaction that we have down here, every relationship that we have is in the context of eternity. Father, help us to prioritize our church family. Help us to belong here. And to those in marriages that are hurting today, Help them to see that pain as a gift and to know their role, that they draw a circle around themselves and change everything inside to keep those crazy promises they once uttered to each other. And to every single person in the room that's listening to this message, Father, I pray that they would see their status as a gift and that they would know how to use it, that they would not waste it, not spend it on themselves, but they would use it for your kingdom, for your glory, and for your honor forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.